Tuesday, August 15th. You will not be listening to this until Thursday. And we'd just like to remind you again, we'll be in Toronto. So if you're in Toronto, come see us. Tickets available at com slash live. And then if you're in Montreal, come see us uh, two days after that. com slash live. This is your last chance, Canada. All right. Let's get into it for today. Headline. Most indicted man on the planet <laughs> indicted again. Uh, and this yeah. time he brought some friends. <laughs> Fellas, the irony of Rudy Giuliani being hit with a Rico case is <laughs> pretty The world's a funny little good. place, isn't it? This is like a Georgia Rico case, though, right? Yeah. That's like, I don't really count those as real. Like, that's not like a real Rico. Like, according to Georgia Rico, Gunna was going around killing people. <laughs> well, the big difference is that like, the original New York tri-state mafia-style Rico cases that Giuliani made his career with, the main evidence was uh, wiretaps of guys sitting around in gentlemen's clubs and going, hey, we're going to kill this guy. That place in Georgia Rico is rap lyrics. Yeah. And not <laughs> quite as good evidence, in my opinion. Just been here, it says... Uh Several of the individual counts stem from false claims of election fraud that Mr. Giuliani and two other Trump lawyers, Robert Cheeley and Ray Smith III, made at legislative hearings in December 2020. Another batch of charges concerns a plan Mr. Trump's supporters carried out to, f- to vote for a false slate of pro-Trump electors and send forged document to Congress claiming those electors were legitimate. A third raft of charges accused several Trump allies of conspiring to steal voter data and tamper with voting equipment in the elections office in Coffee County, Georgia. Some of the defendants were charged only in connection with a bizarre scheme to harass and intimidate an election worker, Ruby Freeman, who Mr. Trump and his allies had wrongfully accused of fraud. I know this seems bad, but Donald Trump has vowed to release an irrefutable report he says will exonerate him in Georgia election tampering case. Reading from Truth Social. A large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report on the presidential election fraud, which took place in Georgia, is almost complete and will be presented by me at a major news conference at 11 a.m. on Monday of next week in Bedminster, New Jersey. Based on the results of this conclusive report, all charges should be dropped against me and others. There will be complete exoneration. They never went after those that rigged the election. They only went after those that fought to find the riggers. I suspect that the exonerating document will be possibly procured by unindicted co-conspirator individual one. Could you guys guess who that is? Tom Fitton? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I mm, unindicted co-conspirator individual one does give me pause because it's like, what if Tom Fitton's the rat? <laughs> if oh, Tom no. Fitton's the rat, like I don't believe in anything <laughs> yeah, anymore. Fuck this world. The most solid guy on the crew. <laughs> that would be, but probably not. Probably not. But like, if if he is, I'm killing myself. <laughs> None left to live for. Yeah, it sounds like it's a report, which presumably means like he hired some guy with you know sports memorabilia to write up a thing saying uh, he didn't do anything wrong on like 14 point font with huge margins. And then this waves, you're going to wave it around. We'll see. I'm, I'm just, I'm reading, this is from uh, redstate.com's coverage of this. And they said, Trump wasn't finished, not by a long shot. He further railed, why didn't they indict two and a half years ago? Because they wanted to do it right in the middle of my political campaign. Witch hunt. And then Red State says, not to nitpick, nitpick, but the same question can be asked of Trump himself. If indeed Trump had irrefutable and conclusive proof that will lead to his complete exoneration, why did he wait two and a half years until after the serious legal issues surrounding his attempted alleged attempt to interfere with the results of the 2020 presidential election reached eyeball depth? I'll tell you, because he's a fucking showman. <laughs> what would be the point of doing that if there hadn't been an indictment? Now you get to pull it out, ta-da, after that? Well, I don't That's know. I mean- showmanship. But I mean, like, didn't he want to be president if he had irrefutable, conclusive proof that the election in Georgia was stolen? I mean, you think he could have dropped that when it mattered? Well, no. I, it's kind of like, um, I don't know if you would uh, yeah, someone would post like a line break tweet where they're talking to their therapist and they realize they posted it at 4 a.m. Let's delete that and post it at prime hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really I, what have you done for me lately type of game. I do like the, uh, the the editor's note at the bottom of this red state piece where it says, editor's note, America won't survive another four years of a Democratic president. We must take back the White House. Um, but yeah, like uh, the, the Georgia Rico case, like, I mean, there are like we've talked about this before. There are a lot of stunning similarities between Trump and Young Thug. 
not just in the lawyers representing him, but just in the general kind of like, if you're a rapper that um, talks about people you've murdered on uh, like a mixtape or something, like is that evidence that you have murdered people or can it be used to uh, as motive for, you know, uh, homicides or whatever? And uh, this is sort of similar. Like if you believe you won the election, um, can you say that? Can you can you speak your heart? That's yeah. basically what this case is about. And they were going to make it illegal for people to speak their truth, which is fucked up. Uh, there's a few other people, uh, like because there's a whole slate. There's like 19 different people who uh, are, are catching charges here, are going to be indicted, and uh, apparently they're all going to be tried together. And unlike these federal cases, there there will be the the mugshot, and he will be arraigned in a courtroom with something like uh, like 12 other unrelated cases. You know, like classic classic law and order here. And this, these these. Javert Jack McCoy is going after him. I think we're gonna they're gonna play that to the hilt. But uh, there's just a few other a few other uh, new characters here, like Jenna Ellis. Uh, Jenna Ellis was hired by the Trump campaign in November 2019 after making a TV news appearance defending Trump and misrepresenting herself as a constitutional law attorney. <laughs> I like the cut of your jib, kid. <laughs> It says Ellis did not respond to a request to comment, but in a Twitter post wrote the Democrats and the Fulton County D.A. are criminalizing the practice of law. I am resolved to trust the Lord and I will simply continue to honor, praise and serve him. I deeply appreciate all of my friends who have reached out, offering encouragement and support. Jenna Ellis, uh, I may be getting confused with someone else, but isn't she a turncoat? She yes, flipped yes. to uh, Team DeSantis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then he's not cut. And then he was like, uh, he's cut her off. Like no legal fees getting paid. So she's on her own for this yeah. case. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think anyone was getting <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, like no one, not not even the lawyer. His lawyers <laughs> getting legal fees. <laughs> yeah. But like, uh, I mean, it would be really funny if he success him and like seventeen others successfully pin everything on Jenna yep. Ellis. Yep. They all testify against her. <laughs> and then somehow like Ron DeSantis goes to prison. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another guy, uh, this guy named uh, uh, Stephen Cliffguard Lee, who is a suburban Chicago pastor. Lee was captured on a police body camera video when officers responded to a December 2020 911 call at the home of Ruby Freeman, one of the Fulton County election workers accused by Giuliani and Trump of counting suitcases of illegal ballots at a vote processing site in Atlanta. Freeman called 911 after Lee reportedly knocked on her door. Confronted in his car, Lee told officers he was working with some folks to help Ruby out and get some truth. When Freeman refused to talk to him, Lee allegedly sought the help of Harrison Floyd, a former Illinois congressman, congressional candidate and former director of Black Voices for Trump, and Trevian Kuti, a former publicist for singer R. Kelly and associate of the rapper Kanye West, now known as Ye, to arrange a meeting with Freeman, according to court filings. Prosecutors sought to question Lee as part of their investigation into the harassment of Freeman, her daughter, Shay Moss, and other election workers, but Lee successfully challenged his subpoena for the special, grand jury, special purpose grand jury. And then, indeed, uh, Kanye West publicist Trevian Kuti has been charged in the Trump for indictment for pressuring Fulton County election worker Ruby Freeman. So these uh, the th these three guys, the Chicago sub suburban pastor, the uh, R. Kelly's friend, some other guy, they were they were going to try to do the thing from Casino when they're torturing the Irish mobster to this guy, presumably. Right. Yeah. What if they were they were doing that, but it's not they're not like putting his head in a vice or like squeezing his nuts. They're just giving him like the Pfizer vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they threaten you to made give me him spike your proteins for Charlie M. <laughs> Charlie fucking M. <laughs> I think there's something also very cowardly about the two uh Chicago suburbs guys going down to like some fucking suburb of Atlanta to threaten parts of the uh, democratic machine. It's like your biggest ops live like 20 minutes from you. <laughs> Those are like your biggest ops. Like Chicago, Chicago is filled with like the biggest democratic ops. And you have to go down and like threaten this one election worker. It's, Let's see. It's Osama bin Laden uh, tactics. You attack the far enemy, not the near one. Yes. Yeah. I mean, no one, no one, no one can ever accuse John Cass of not op hunting in his backyard. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Uh, so yeah, like uh, just just more indictments, and of course, like I, I'm I'm very much enjoying seeing the uh, reaction among the right wing media, like um, a beanie head Tim Pool just saying you were in a civil war, civil war. And what I love about the uh, what I love about um, 
like anytime anything bad happens for Trump, like you, you get like more more people darkly intoning about like we we have crossed the Rubicon. Rubicon. We crossed the Rubicon. We have crossed again. the Rubicon. This Yet is again. the last Rubicon. <laughs> there's Which, there's only one. There Rubicon. are no more Rubicons to cross. There, there is only ever one. You either cross it or you don't, motherfucker. Have you ever seen the Rubicon? It's like a fucking piss stream. You can just hop over that fucking thing. But like, I, I guess my attitude about this is like all, all of these, all of these sort of uh, threats about oh, like you know, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's like we saw we saw the attempt to have a civil war. It was January sixth, yeah. and it was the funniest thing that's ever happened in American history. You're threatening us literally with a good time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and every other uh, subsequent uh, effort was have been equally funny in their own way. Like the guy who took the nail gun to the election office yeah. in Cincinnati and ended up getting murked in a cornfield. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean like, I, I, I guess like it's an indirect suicide threat. Mm-hmm. Keep pushing us and we're all going to get cops to kill us. <laughs> <laughs> keep we're fucking put, keep fucking pushing. We'll post our exact location and pictures of us holding guns and walk out with two bazookas right in front of <laughs> FBI agents and get evaporated. Um, but, you know, like and, and the, the, the you know, these charges keep coming out, but we all know it's just to, it's to cover up uh, two different things. The Hunter, the Hunter Biden charges, yep. the, the, the plea deal fell apart yet again. What's, and now, now there's a special prosecutor. Yeah. So it's going deep, folks. We're going to get all, we're going to get more information about Hunter and they of course have to distract us. They have to distract us. And also they have to distract us from the fact that um, Oprah selected Maui for the uh, phase shift uh, energy weapon uh, orbital platform yep. to just wipe that island off the map. Um, and just get some another vacation property down there. Well, they, wait, wait, they're wait. trying to build a human zoo, yeah. and you need a lot of because you want to have a, a big, nice habitat for them, or else they get colicky and stuff. So you need you need as much room as possible. And these damn islanders weren't giving it to them, so they had to burn the place down. Are they saying that like uh, that Oprah and Tyler Perry and everyone that they have a halo? Yes, <laughs> that's basically it. Yeah, they have a halo, but they couldn't even destroy all of Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> the halo the halo system wipes out everything in a galaxy mm-hmm. well i mean like they, they they put it on its lowest set oh okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. okay it yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's like you're making a pop tart versus yeah. <laughs> defrosting some stew <laughs> uh oh here's another thing here's another thing that they're distracting us from um obama on that gay shit yep yeah i mean in typical typical bungler fashion it's not even like <laughs> Like it would be if he if it was like, oh, yeah, he like fucked two dudes in the 70s and was like, "Eh, not for me. That happened to a lot of people. Yeah. You know, if you're listening and you're over the age of 30, probably happened to your dad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, You know, really very. It was really a popular thing in the 70s. Every man was kind of trying it. Obama, though, um, very clearly was trying to gender flirt. Yeah. He was trying to get with a bi girl. But he's like a typical bungler fashion. He like compromised himself out of existence. He compromised himself so far out where he's like, well, it would be like totally dishonest to say that I've had sex with men. So we're not going to go with that. And I'm not going to say I'm gay because that might foreclose future possibilities. So I'm going to start at the negotiating position that I astral project into men's holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it says here, a 21-year-old Barack Obama believed that being gay was a way to detach from reality and told an ex-girlfriend that he had fantasies of making love to men. In a letter written to his college girlfriend, Alex McNear, in November 1982, the former president of the United States mused on homosexuality and gender. Obama also spoke about his androgynous mind and hopes to see people as humans, not through the lens of binary gender categories. I mean, this is just like, he's just trying to have a threesome. Yeah. He's trying to like just finagle, uh, you know, some some sort of, yeah, he's gender flirting. I'm, I'm imagining, you know, it's campaign trail. The two advisors pop up on the screen. You are going to get no pussy from this. <laughs> <laughs> you will regret this. I mean, it's safe to say this did not work. Yeah, no. This did not, there is no universe in with, where this ever works. Um he said that fantasizing about sex with other men was an escape from reality, which is like, you really see what men would fantasize about before we had school shootings and mass shootings to daydream about, you know, stopping with karate. He also said that uh, it helps him like defy time and space. Yeah. Like step outside of the stream of, of existence and history. Like, damn, dude. 
Dr. Man Asshole. How, <laughs> how did that not work? It, well, it's just here. The, the how, first, did, how did, hey, I'm a brown seer not work? <laughs> <laughs> the 44th, he ate a different type of Jojen paste. <laughs> the 44th U.S. president and first black president wrote, in, uh, in, regard, in regard to uh, homosexuality, I must say that I believe it is an attempt to remove oneself from the present, a refusal perhaps to perpetuate the endless farce of an earthly life. And then, (laughs) okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, this is interesting. We've always talked about the problem of eternity on this show. Did President Obama finally stumble on the first solution of his life? The solution to eternity is sex with men. Yeah. Yeah, that is... I mean, I don't know what qualities he's assigning to it, but it is, I guess there's something immortal about it. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, I, I always suspected gay guys were having more fun, but, you know, yeah. now that I realize that they've slipped the bonds of space, time, and reality, yeah. I mean, I've, I mean, I've had some tight navigators. orgasms in my life, but yeah. nothing compares to that. Yeah. He says, uh, yes, you see, uh, you see, I make love to men daily, but in my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, if there's any um, uh, hot bi women listening to this program right now, I also do this. But you know, I mean, I, I'm not. I mean, I haven't done. I haven't actually like you know crossed that Rubicon. But in my imagination, yeah, anything's possible. <laughs> he also wrote about his conflicting thoughts on gender. My mind is an androgynous to the great extent, and I hope uh, to make it more so. So until until I can think of people uh, in terms of people, not women, as opposed to men. But in returning to the body. I see that I have been made a man and physically in life. I choose to accept that contingency. <laughs> it's this damn. is like the most Obama. Yeah. Like, most Obama way of talking about sexuality. Yeah. No, he's really, he's his own big tent. Yeah. <laughs> he's really trying to please everyone. It just, I mean, like it would be, if this was like, if this was, you know, he, these were actually things he was struggling with. You know, that's one thing. But knowing Obama, this is 100,000% just him trying to fuck the ethereal bisexual. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's, I don't believe for a second that he was yeah. struggling with anything. He's like thinking about, okay, uh, so she was in uh, uh, post-structural theory uh, 101. <laughs> so she talked about Foucault and whatnot. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll do some of that stuff. We'll, we'll add a little bit of a Simone de Beauvoir. And, uh, <laughs> hopefully that'll uh, unlock the pussy. <laughs> I've always thought uh, gender was something of a panopticon. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I, I guess like the other, the other like stock topic of discourse this week, this you know like a rumbling about is you know like as some men struggle to return to their physical body from the ethereal plane of androgyny and uh, sucking cock, uh, men men are just lonely. What are we going to do about all this male loneliness that's going on in this country? And you know, Hillary Clinton has an article in the Atlantic. It's just basically like, I've always wondered why I didn't win the presidency. And now it's all these lonely men out there who think <laughs> I was eating babies or whatever. But it's just it's sort of like this stock explanation for why everything feels so fucked up now. You know, I mean, like, and the thing is, like, I, we've talked about this on the show a lot before about how lonely everyone is. But it's just mm. sort of like it's, it's, it's David Brooks has a piece in The New York Times today about about male loneliness and about how we're a mean country. And we I don't know. We need to like uh coach people and how to be nicer to I everyone. I just love that shit. It's like, it's not the, it's not the stuff that you are compelled to do every day of your life. Like the, the defining relationships, which are all compelled by like market forces. That's not it. It's if, if there was a fucking, uh, if there was a masterclass on friendship that David Brooks put yeah. on YouTube, that would fix the, <laughs> that would overcome like the actual strictures of your daily, like life, like the geography, the space time that you inhabit. And that, like, far more determine how fucking much you, for example, interact with other people in a way that isn't alienated. No, no. You just go on YouTube and let fucking David Brooks just pep you up. And then you're not going to be a, a, a social asshole anymore. This one in particular, this, like, round of this, uh, I, we talk about this every three or four years. This one in particular fucking blows because at least the other times there were some attempts at solutions. Most of them I heard they um you know it was like when ross uh you know suggested that there should be um sort of like an obamacare for sex for young men <laughs> it was like stuff like that like usually bad ideas but this time it, it's like it just it, it immediately starts with recrimination that's where everything is 
it always is meant to end up to go any discourse cycle but it's just like now we've just started with um you know whatever group of people i already didn't like whatever alignment i didn't like they actually have no solutions for loneliness yeah and then what's your solution the and another thing they don't even care they want men to die yeah everyone 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 is doing their own version of this and there is just there is no I, i haven't even seen like you know the hint of any idea this time no well all we have is uh we can't fix it that's the unspoken and buried premise but we can't blame someone for it and then maybe if they're punished somehow if they're made unhappy as a group one way or the other that at least like is some measure of justice for the loneliness that is otherwise sorry it's indelible it can't be changed uh well here's chill dog uh, she says, nearly 30 years later, it's clear that the problems I diagnosed in the 1990s with her, with her she's referring to the book, It Takes a Village, uh, ran deeper than I realized and were more dire than I could have imagined. But in the prescriptions in It Takes a Village, putting families first, investing in community infrastructure, protecting kids from out of control technology and recommitting to the core American values of mutual responsibility and empathy have only grown more urgent and necessary. God, she talks about it takes a village like Billy Bob Thornton talks about his music. (laughs) (laughs) Let it go. Uh, Yeah, she says, in recent years, I've often thought back to it takes a village. (laughs) If you dig deep enough through all the mud of politics and polarization, eventually you hit something hard and true. A foundation of values and aspirations that bind us together as Americans. That's something to build on. If we can break out of our toxic us versus them dichotomies, we can shrink our notion of the other and expand the we and we the people. Perhaps we can discover that we have more in common than we think. And then with David Brooks's How America Got Me, and like, I don't need to go through all this. He says, the most important story about why Americans have become sad and alienated and rude, I believe, is also the simplest. We inhabit a society in which people are no longer trained in how to treat others with kindness and consideration. Our society has become one in which people feel licensed to give their selfishness free reign. The story I'm going to tell is about morals. In a healthy society, a web of institutions, families, schools, religious groups, community organizations, and workplaces helps form people into kind and reasonable, responsible citizens, the sort of people who show up for one another. We live in a society that's terrible at moral formation. Bro, you left your wife for your research assistant who's 30 years younger than you. Maybe, maybe pipe down on, 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 on reigning in people's selfless. A pipe down. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, we talked about this before, but like for, for David Brooks in particular, like if, you, if, if, if I were to diagnose like to the extent that America has become a crueler, meaner place over the last 20 or 30 years, I would point first and foremost to the war on terror and the invasion of Iraq is like you don't think that that in some way poisoned the soul of this country yeah. and like sort of provided a moral example, shall we say, to the, our population about what this country stands for and what is rewarded in like the the public values that we seem to profess. Like we kill the million people for no reason and never dealt with that. Like you don't you don't you don't think that that violence and that hatred and that fucking misery you don't think that 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 that's gonna like in some way taint you and the souls of the people that's done on their behalf of. And we're also occupying a like declining capitalism where there can no longer even be a, a, a fantasy that you have uh, any relationship with your, anybody else in the world but other than a competitive one. That it is a zero-sum world where, uh, of course, people fucking are selfish. You get punished for not being selfish. You get rewarded by the system you live under by being selfish. He says, oh, we're not training people to be nice anymore. No, it's not that. We're training people to be assholes. But not because we have asshole classes in school, but because that is what advantages you to be an asshole. And you learn that you are trained that way by experiencing the fucking world that you live in. It's an, and it's a world that in its basic economic structures, this fucking turtle faced bitch endorses entirely. And then in your leisure hours, you are not only you, you are subjected to the most advanced gamification of mm-hmm. all human communication solely for the purpose of harvesting your advertising data mm-hmm. every waking hour. I mean, it's it's honestly a miracle more people don't shoot each other. Yeah. I mean, like the the what the social interface that most people spend more of their time with than any other is this digital one where Every relationship is hierarchicalized. Like you have to fight for attention to assert your existence with every other person online. There can be no collaboration. There can be no respect. Uh, there can be no good faith 
bad faith is the only uh, way to exist in that space. And then that's where you spend most of your time forming relationships to like what's going on in the world around you and what to expect from other people you might encounter in your real life. Of course, you're going to bring that to your day to day and fucking treat everybody like pieces of shit. Well, I mean, here's something you can do in your leisure time, according to David Brooks. In the summer of 2020, the series Ted Lasso premiered. Ah, Christ. (laughs) When Lasso describes his goals as a soccer coach, he could mention the championships he hopes to win or some other conventional metric of success. But he says, for me, success is not about wins and losses. It's about helping those these young fellows be the best versions of themselves (sighs) on and off the field. That is a two sentence description of moral formation. Ted Lasso is about an earnest, cheerful, and transparently kind man who enters a world that has grown cynical, amoral, and manipulative. And episode after episode, even through his own troubles, he offers the people around him opportunities to grow more gracious, to confront their vulnerabilities and fears, and to treat one another gently and wisely. Amid lockdowns and political rancor, it became a cultural touchstone and the most watched show on Apple TV. Oh, that says so much. (laughs) Yeah, look, if that is the sole utility you want out of entertainment, Really, why not just read Richard Scary? It's so much better than Ted Lasso. But I mean, just, yeah, it, it really, it really, like, you don't need the pretense of, you know, you're watching TV. It's 2023. You can be a 65 year old man and read Richard Scary. There are people doing worse things. <laughs> it's out valid. There. It's valid. I think Richard Scary is great. I read it all the time. I've had sex with 57 women because they've seen me read Richard Scarry on business class on Delta flights. <laughs> there are great morals in those books, the great illustrations, great art. Um, and if all you want from your art is like, you know, how should society work and how should people or worms or huckle cats behave <laughs> that he did it the best. And, and, and uh, Richard Scarry or huckle never tried to get Olivia Wilde to kill him. <laughs> over Harry Styles. <laughs> uh, but this is, I'm sorry, but this is what everybody, this is the solution everyone has. We need the programs to be different. We need you to watch a piece of art that is going to transform you. But what, what, but they don't ever think it through. It's like, okay, transform you into what you, you're not doing anything either. Nobody's doing anything. This, if you get other people to agree with you through uh, propaganda, what is basically what everyone wants art to be now. All you have is another consumer who is going to like consume the same stuff you are, but you're not any in any better position to actually change anything regardless. This is the most like, I don't know, maybe in fucking 90 years, 80 years that art has ever like conformed to people's ideals. This is the most, this is the most that art has ever conformed to like, you know, popular divided concepts of morality more than ever mm-hmm. the, to the point that like even depictions of things are taken out, lest they be mistaken for endorsements. And, you know, obviously doesn't change anything. And also in a divided polarized country, that is also going to mean that the other, the, the part of the country that is not, you know, going to be moved into being good people by Ted Lasso will get their own version of that. Exactly. And all it's going to do is sharpen the distinctions that you imagine in your mind exist between you and everybody else and make you more tribal and hostile than you were before. Congratulations. Well, I mean, in, into this into this heady brew um, drops Song of the Summer, Rich Men North of Richmond, uh, the, 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 the industry plant uh, country yeah. music song. Op- operation. <laughs> was, uh, the guy, Oliver Anthony, this, like, uh, this big ginger who's just like, hey, Fat people need to stop eating fudge. <laughs> yeah, that is, okay. That is like th- that is the thing that pisses me off the most about it. Is like he has fucking tits. <laughs> like he's it's a you know we talked about it when Trump was going at Christie, but yeah. like yeah. what is more American than you know being a big fat guy and being like, look at this slightly fatter asshole. He should die. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I I haven't listened to this song. It's just one of those. I have things, not. Like, I just saw I, a stupid red face ten thousand. Yeah. Times. I like. Uh, I so I got I got I got I got, I got nothing on it, whether it's a good song or not. Um, no. it isn't. No. I mean, I, I made fun of it, and this guy was like, "I hope Matt Walsh and the guy who sang the song beat you up." <laughs> 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 no, but it, it's so funny. They're like, like, uh, they're, they're like, like the guy that like their own company bought like 20,000, 200,000 downloads of his song. They like, they're responding to it being be like this breath of fresh air that comes out of nowhere is reconnecting <laughs> us with authentic music. 
God, they are making themselves fucking insane. Yeah. Like they keep doing that. Like they're they're you know, in a month there will be like a footage of like a concert that's like supposedly sold out where like 20 people are there because like some straw donor bought all the tickets. It'll be like, what's going on? Did they kill all the rich men and Richmond fans? <laughs> oh, I got uh, the, the other story this week. I mean, if you want to talk about a, 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 a nation of kind, caring people. Holy shit. The update to the blind side story that dropped this <laughs> oh week is fucking incredible. Who, who saw this? Coming? Yeah. Who, yeah. We're talking about, talk about a surprising story. Do you think that these uh, uh, young brands franchisees would be, uh, would steal a child and then take all his money? Yeah. No, this was, I didn't blind side. It came out the same year as Gran Torino, right? Ooh, uh, let me check. I think so. They both read yeah. late Bush era to me. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, eight. 10 Gran Torino came out in 2008 yeah oh okay, okay. Right. no I mean Gran Torino just the way more progressive movie it turns out yeah absolutely yeah but yeah, yeah. I mean that kid got a car out of the deal the, the, yeah <laughs> this that guy kid got millions got, of that dollars got stolen got from him when you, you Gran Torino is kind of about like it's Clint Eastwood's interpretation of like third worldism <laughs> uh but yeah no this was like when this movie came out, The Blind Side, like people would call you an asshole if you were like, something's up yeah, with something's this. Something's a bit weird about people this. People would yell at you so much. They would be like, how dare, you know, how dare you suggest that this weird white lady stole a child <laughs> and would fucking, you know, steal his earnings for his entire life? Who would do that ever? And it's like, anyone like her? Yeah. <laughs> anyone whose entire fortune rests on paying uh, teenagers a uh, minimum wage while yeah. they sling fucking gorditas at people. Maybe a quarter of Americans would do this. <laughs> well, you know, uh, football is football, you know, and, and, and like, increasingly though, like the Sandra Bullock character taught him how to play football. Yeah. Taught him how to protect the blind side. Yeah. You got to treat the quarterback like you like him <laughs> and he's your friend <laughs> and that'll make you want to protect him. Yeah. And like, he was like, damn, thank you. Now I know how to do, execute blocking strategies. <laughs> Yeah, like uh, uh, cover the blind side and um, also sign this conservatorship <laughs> so that uh, we can be taking out loans in your name. The movie really portrays that kid like he's from a fucking uncontacted tribe. <laughs> it's really like I can't. I mean, like, God, damn, I know people like we always you always think the time you live in now is the worst time. Right, yeah. And, you know, sometimes it is pretty bad. But like this Thankfully, this movie could not be made today. That no. is one good thing. I mean, like, it is beyond offensive. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I don't use that word very that, much. That is a thing to remember. Yeah. Like, not, it's not all like epic classics like Blazing Saddles that are, you know, smothered in the woke crib. Some of it is just shit that should never have been made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, to, uh, to, to move on from uh, politics, I have a, um, I have a great uh, New York Times story here that is uh, the, the, this piece is a journey. And I want to thank uh, Jacob Bacharach for sending this to me because like this, this is prime Chapo reading series. This is this is a great New York Times article headline, a wealthy teenager, a five star hotel teenager. and a bizarre defamation fight. A teenager turned away by a bar in one of Manhattan's fanciest hotels started a campaign to sully its reputation. A lawsuit said the hotel is suing him for defamation. The trouble began in August 2021, according to claims in an unusual lawsuit filed in July when Theodore Weintraub was 17 and attempted something of an American rite of passage, buying alcohol with a fake ID. He tried and failed many times, but instead of going into a bodega or a midtown dive bar, he repeatedly chose the bar in one of Manhattan's most exclusive hotels attached to a restaurant run by the celebrity chef Jean-Georges Vondrichen, where the cheeseburger with fries cost $60. <laughs> I mean, I, I gotta say, I, I had a fake ID or I had a real ID when I was, uh, when I was a kid, when I was like 16, it was, um, a guy who kind of looked like me yeah. who happened to be in federal Tamerlan prison. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was our, 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 my, my very good friend who, you know, um, to this day, to this day, one of my great friends, his older brother would hang out with us uh, who, you know, he was 26 when we were like 16 his friend was in federal prison and was like, here, you should use this guy's ID. <laughs> <laughs> and to like, you know, give it a whirl, to give it a test spin because you want to make sure it works. Um, his, this was really smart 
he thought like try it out in a fancy restaurant they're not, right, yeah. Yeah. They're not gonna yeah. hold you they're just gonna be like please sir exactly yeah. exactly and here's the fucking the greatest trick he taught me and this always worked i never got caught with this idea when i used it you know at a bar i would order a dirty martini a dirty vodka martini because what 16 year old yeah, yeah. that's a grown up ass yeah. drink you know yeah this not, asshole not the most a, constructive lesson I ever learned but like pretty fucking smart this asshole is probably trying to cop a Long Island iced tea or something yeah the, no. the $60 cheeseburg hotel bar talk, talk about men being lonely he didn't have that friend's older yeah. brother okay. yeah we don't want to talk, about, want to talk about solutions to the male loneliness. We need epidemic. older brothers. We need dirtbag older brothers who are like a, a 10 years older than teenagers and tell them about Problem like, is, you don't know how to rip a bong like I do. Here, check this out. Oh my God. <laughs> Nobody has older brothers anymore because they're all single children. Well, well yes. Their parents waited until they were 55 years old and had one kid. So there's no cool smoking, weed smoking older brother with a blacklight poster to tell you about how things really are. Well, I mean, like they wouldn't be biological older brothers. Like talk about a good job for veterans. Yeah. This would be yeah, like, not like giving them like a fucking M60 machine gun and putting them on the roof of a school. Yeah. <laughs> How about yeah. you just let them hang out and smoke weed in people's uh, ba basements and then just talk to younger kids about the world? They should be expi explicitly told like, no, don't try to like impart values on them. No, just like teach them how to do stuff like buy alcohol or like, you know, you know, minor shoplifting that doesn't really affect anyone. Like things how, like how that. How to make an apple into a bomb. Exactly. And it's like, I, you know, you kind of need those experiences as a young man. You do. You shouldn't be getting them from the internet. No, no, no. You should. I cry when I think about a child typing in, you know, smoking weed off of tinfoil Reddit. Yeah. Someone should be <laughs> showing him how to oh, do that. Okay, so it says here, um, bartenders don't see too many teenagers flashing fake IDs at establishments with a $14,500 bottle of wine <laughs> on the menu. So Mr. Weintraub stood out. Again and again, staff members refused his increasingly aggressive attempts to buy a drink, the lawsuit said, until finally, in 2021, the hotel banned him entirely. What happened next was at first annoying and then disruptive and eventually led to a series of events so bizarre and disturbing that the hotel, the Mark on East 77th Street on the Upper East Side, sued Mr. Weintraub, now 19, for defamation. So, I mean, like, this is a kid who's not lonely. You know, no, he's, he's, no, getting, yeah. <laughs> he's getting interactions with he's the community. He's got lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> he's hanging out with lawyers. Uh, according to court papers filed late last month, Mr. Weintraub returned to the Mark earlier this summer two years after his banishment on a quest for revenge. <laughs> it is unclear why he waited two years to return and he declined requests for comment. Two fucking years? I, kids, uh, yeah, two, kids today are fucked up. <laughs> yeah, get some follow through. It yeah. reminds me of the classic joke. Guy, uh, the guy's knock at a guy's door. He opens the door and there's a little snail standing, on the, uh, standing in front of him and he goes, can I talk to you for a minute? The guy picks the snail, snail up and throws it away. So get the fuck out of here. Closes the door. Two years later, there's a knock at the door. He opens it. The snail's there. He goes, what the fuck was that about? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, like I, to, to me, it's not just it's not even the two years thing. It's that like, I don't know, I guess in a really deep personalized time, you have to take everything personally. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, like, like when I was. You can't you know, think like it's all in the game. Yeah. Like one time we before I had the fake ID, me and my friends uh, to watch the World Series, we we brought uh, like these huge like 32 ounce things of Gatorade and Bacardi to this bar like an outdoor beer garden in Chicago and we would we would order like cokes and like you know chips and shit and like surreptitiously pour the rum into the Gatorade <laughs> bottles and then like pour it into the drink making like the worst cocktail ever <laughs> and we you know we were fucking like 15 and like stupid and I like very clearly drunk and very clearly children and like <laughs> you know they eventually they figured it out they found all this shit underneath yeah. the table and like kicked us out and like yelled at us and we're like are you, are you trying to get our fucking liquor license taken away but it's like and even, you know, teenagers are selfish and idiotic and spiteful, but at no point were we like, oh, this is the, the this is the start of a blood feud. Yeah. There's like, no, there was like, some understanding like, that it's like, this is my job. That's your yeah. job. Yeah, you yeah. know, like you're it's supposed like, to do that. You know, you're 15. Like you, you got in the bar and you're like, you've, you've surreptitiously secreted drinks into it. You're getting drunk in a bar at 15, which is like, you know, that's like the fucking that's Valhalla. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. 
That's I like th- the coolest thought, thing imaginable. Yeah, I thought sex in no time. Boy, was <laughs> I wrong. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's one tack you could have taken upon being exited from the Chicago Beer Garden. Another would be Mr. Weintraub. Mr. Weintraub and another man referred to as John Doe in the legal filings became fixtures outside the hotel, the suit contends, chanting and holding protest signs saying, the mark denies the Holocaust, the mark spreads disease, and the mark supports Epstein, in reference to Jeffrey Epstein, the convicted sex offender. According to the lawsuit, first reported by Patch.com, they physically accosted hotel guests until, re- until finally a video shows a sidewalk brawl erupted in July between the protesters and fans of the rap star Drake, who was staying at the hotel. The mark is near Mr. Weintraub's home, but beyond its proximity, it is unclear why he would decide to try to buy alcohol there or why he would keep trying after he was repeatedly refused service. The hotel's account in court papers suggests that he harbored a grudge for years until it finally boiled over. Approached by the New York Post last week, Mr. Tra- Mr. Weintraub was taciturn. I can't comment now, he said. The truth will come out. How funny would this be if like, they found out that this hotel was... Uh, did the Holocaust yeah, denying Epstein yeah. like, conspiracy. Was yeah. the Epstein trafficking hub? Yeah. yeah. He's just by total accident. Yeah. That would be great. It's like uh, the Matt Damon movie, The Informer, about yeah. Archer Daniels Midland. Yep, just accidentally correct. They have uh, their, their penthouse suite is named after Mel Gibson's dad. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, this is... This is sad for a lot of reasons. I mean, a kid named Weintraub doing like being this bad at law. <laughs> Awful, sad, tragic. Uh, but yeah, no, like it's just um, the blood feudness of it all. It's, it's like you can't you you can't just take a, you know, take a hit. Be like, ah, well, it didn't work. I think, yeah, uh, just a general sense of social frailty. Like you can't imagine uh getting over anything you know because every trauma is the equivalent of the holocaust no no american can just you know live to fight on another day i guess yeah princess and the peace syndrome you got everything so any inconvenience is like being school shot yeah uh only a few weeks after mr weintraub was banned in 2021 he was back at the hotel this time with his unsuspecting parents mr weintraub's family had made a dinner reservation at the restaurant oh boy but they were stopped they were stopped from taking their seats by security who informed them their son was not allowed on the property according to the lawsuit think about that so he's sitting sitting at home yeah he's sitting at home like gaming and they go and they come up and they go "Uh, hey honey we're gonna go to dinner Oh, where are we going? The, the mark? mark? And it's just like <laughs> vibrates six feet off the ground. It's like, uh, what have you been up to today, uh, Mr. Weintraub, our son? It's just like, uh, nothing. In the back of his head, he's outside the mark screaming at Drake for supporting the Holocaust. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, we're going to dinner. Oh, boy. I wonder if he was like, he's like, Did oh, boy, I cannot fingies? wait. I cannot wait for them to find out. Yeah. <laughs> It says, uh, uh, this appeared to be news to Mr. Weintraub's parents. The teenager first asked the hotel to forgive him, the lawsuit said, but soon flew into a rage, screaming that the hotel was anti-Semitic and that its employees spat in people's food. Well, I mean, if they weren't before, they're certainly now. (laughs) The young man's father, Dr. Philip J. Weintraub, a cardiologist, calmed him down and told Holstel staff that he understood the ban, according to court papers. Dr. Weintraub, an art collector who made tabloid headlines himself in 2021 over an insurance dispute that centered on the theft of $1.5 million worth of art from his roughly $7 million collection, handed hotel staff members his business card and told them to call him directly if his son caused any further trouble. He did not respond to requests for comments. See, like, this this brings to mind to me the David Brooks article about, like, oh, like, how did America get so mean and our souls so callous? Like, meanwhile, 20 years ago, he was just like, more war now, yeah. please. You can't not raise a little shithead like this when you're doing, like, massive insurance fraud yeah. on your right. $7 million art collection. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I'd, I'd always, in all conditions, I, I, conditions, I'd expect his son to be awful, right? <laughs> but it, it's more that, like, okay, you, the cardiology, the Manhattan cardiologist's son is not supposed to act, like, even if he's a fucking awful kid, isn't supposed to act like the kid that has to go to a different school because he bit the teacher. And that now that's just the fucking baseline. Yeah. Like that yeah, is, yeah. Yeah. everybody is the kid who had to wear a helmet in the class. Yeah. If I, if I was born in like 2004, they would consider me like the most normal kid in the world nowadays. <laughs> like, um, this, that appeared to have been the end of the dispute until earlier this summer when staff members said they ran into Mr. Weintraub again on the sidewalk near the hotel where he screamed at them, according to court papers. <laughs> 
Soon, Mr. Weintraub and another man began their protests. By July, they were also screaming insults at hotel staff, including repeatedly calling one doorman a pedophile and yelling that his mother is a prostitute. The lawsuit charges that they also physically confronted guests. On several occasions, the hotel called 911. So did Mr. Weintraub and the other protester. <laughs> Where did he get this other guy? Like Craigslist? Was he like needed best friend to do protests with? Victims of the mark.com. Have you been victimized by the Mark Hotel? Would you like to participate in an urban flash mob style environment scene with me later today? But hey, like, look, I'm saying, like, you got to find your friend somewhere, somewhere not on the internet. You it's know? true. This, again, this kid is probably the most socialized man of his <laughs> yeah. generation. It is kind of, I am, this is the first positive look I've had in, in the story that he picked. It, it's like when you look up a, like, obscure, like, European political parties on Wikipedia and you find a party that's like the free soccer tickets and Hitler was innocent party. <laughs> and then you see, it's like they have like three seats in Dutch parliament. And you're like, oh, not bad. <laughs> You know, like considering how out there you guys are, like you got it together to get like three people elected. The fact that he got one supporter, that he doubled his base. Yeah. Pretty good. Oh, uh, speaking of uh, bizarre uh, foreign political parties, did you see the guy who just um, uh, like the, the, the guy, um, uh, the, the surprise victor in the Argentina? Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. They got a he's like, he's like hand a, cap on their hands. He's a, yeah. Yeah. He said he wants to replace the peso with the, the dollar. And has characterized sex education as a ploy to destroy the family and said he believes the sale of human organs should be legal and it should be easier for Argentines to own handguns. Yeah. So he's a he's a real like, you know, uh, yeah, no, on Mises, yeah, they're going economics. For it. They're going like, for it. I can't I, I can't wait for the Gulch. Gulch. No. Yeah. Yeah. Gulch, yeah, Gulch. yeah. Yeah. To open on the Pampas. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll all everybody will go there. All, it'll be amazing, though, if it's a success and like all of the most annoying Americans all flee and like all become Argentines and we don't have to worry about them anymore. It'd be amazing. I'm rooting for him. Look, I will say, like, if he gets to do all this, I feel really bad for the people of Argentina. But think how nice it would be if like in our own hemisphere. There's like a six hour plane, probably eight or nine hours for Argentina, right? Something yeah. longer than that. Yeah, it's probably pretty far away. Where you can like buy an over the counter surface to air stinger missile, heroin, and like a, a, a person. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Like, yeah, we create interzone. Yeah. If there's just like a country you can go to that's Fallout, <laughs> that would be fun. Like, yeah. you know, you can, you can blow off some steam. Yeah. It'll probably make us all nicer if we can all just like take our time in the no no law zone purge style really um on several occasions okay um crystal a hotel employee who spoke in the condition that she'd be identified only by her first name because the mark told his employees not to speak to the news media said she had seen mr weintraub and another man sit in a black suv a cadillac escalade according to court papers outside the hotel uh, and give instructions to the protester she said she wished Mr. Weintraub would spend his time and money on other pursuits. Things reached a fever pitch when Drake stayed at the hotel last month. In one video posted by The Hollywood Fix, a celebrity gossip site, a man can be heard chanting, The Mark helped Epstein as Drake and his entourage leave the hotel. He should sample that on his next album. <laughs> I, I could see, though, Drake being a little touchy if they're yelling about pedophiles out there. And he's like, still, he's, you know, allegedly his preferences. I disavow Matt Chrisman. I disavow all allegations against Drake. I pledge fealty to Drake for my safe passage through Toronto. Oh, that's true. We don't want to start static on the six. Yeah, I see a universe where Drake attends our show in disguise and likes what he hears. <laughs> I see a world where we we become Drake's friends. Hey, we're way better than that that woman who interviewed him in bed, and like they're not friends anymore. Or whatever, Drake, we gotta we'll interview in chairs. Yeah, no, we'll interview you in chairs. We won't make implications about your drink like she did. That that mean woman. Yeah, and, we'll treat you with respect. Yeah, and. I could teach you about all types of Jewish monsters your mom never told you about. <laughs> the uh, Jews of Canada have no knowledge of the Dybbuk. The or Shabriri, the demon of blindness. The lawsuit said that a melee erupted outside, a hotel, outside the hotel when Mr. Weintraub and his fellow protester tried to keep 
a celebrity who was unnamed in court documents, but whom the video showed to be Drake from re-entering the hotel. That resulted in other, the other protester being punched in the face by fans of the celebrity, according to the suit. The celebrity, who is Jewish, later complained to hotel management that he was disturbed to hear someone screaming about Holocaust denial as he tried to come and go from the hotel, the lawsuit said. Edward, the superintendent of a nearby commercial building who asked to be identified only by his first name for fear of losing his job, said that he had seen Mr. Weintraub and his protest companion get in arguments with Drake's bodyguards a couple of times. I I would like someone to do this at the hotel I'm staying at here in L.A. right now. Just pick at me. (laughs) I always kind of expect stuff like... I used to expect stuff like this to happen to me more. But it, it really... I only it's only happened to me once like no one's ever like picketed me mm-hmm. but one time I was like like in 2021 I was like waiting in line to go into this bar with a couple friends and someone from like three blocks away screamed like Chapo is fascist fuck you <laughs> but like I, I think we all used to in the first like two or three years we we, we all expected like people yeah. to like find out where we're staying and be like fuck you and it didn't I wouldn't say it like frightened me but it was just like Oh, that's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it never people, did, though. Those people are too afraid of confrontation. They would never have that conversation. Like, the only thing that can get you able to have this level of contact with strangers is if they've done something personal to you, like denied you a, yeah. a sample of Louis XIII of cognac. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> the Mark Hotel supports Brace Belden, CIA. <laughs> 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 uh, it says, um... The hotel's, ma- the hotel's managers were more accustomed to hosting celebrities and the super rich. The mark charges $75,000 per night for its penthouse suite. What? Then- oh, okay, 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 they're involved in something. Yeah, 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 yeah he's yeah. definitely hit a, hit a few things accidentally. 75000 I better be getting a human being. Yeah. Like, I hope they're... Or, like, you know... Um, the greatest Holocaust denial presentation ever yeah. that I couldn't get anywhere else. They put the adrenochrome mints on your pillow when you check out. <laughs> yeah. Late last month, the hotel filed the lawsuit against Mr. Weintraub for defamation. And on Thursday, it filed for a restraining order, which it says was granted, that would prevent him or anyone acting on his behalf from picketing outside the hotel. The request for a restraining order also addressed some of the specific claims made by Mr. Weintraub. It would prevent him from publicly claiming the mark denied the Holocaust, supported Jeffrey Epstein, supported sexual assault, or was it a known source of infectious disease? <laughs> In an affidavit, Etienne Harrow, the hotel's general manager, took particular under umbrage at Mr. Weintraub's charges of Holocaust denial and collusion with Mr. Epstein, who Mr. Harrow said had never even stayed at the mark. He lived six blocks away before he was sent to prison, where he died by suicide in 2019. I can see the New York Times is still yeah. <laughs> still begging that yeah. drum. Yeah, I it would be like okay if there was a like Illuminati hotel right where they're doing human trafficking and like Jeffrey Epstein's the John there, Wick and, hotel, right? The John Wick hotel for like you know the the Leon Blacks of the world. Like it would be funny if there was like it was also like degraded from the health department <laughs> <laughs> like that he's saying both like they like like that is that is so low rent like if you got if you got chicken pox at bohemian grove <laughs> the notion that we deny the holocaust is a spurious attempt to damage our reputation and relationships wrote mr harrow who said the hotel's prestigious reputation can be damaged as here by a single person loudly complaining about our business integrity The hotel's management asked employees not to comment, several staff members said. Alex Weisenberger, 40, who works on the block in an art industry, in the art industry and uses they, them pronouns, said they had seen Mr. Weintraub protesting outside the hotel and assumed it was a prank. Uh, Weisenberger, uh, MX Weisenberger, said others in the neighborhood seemed unfazed. I just saw him walking back and forth in front of the mark chanting, the mark has rats, said said MX Weisenberger. It was obvious, but people didn't really seem bothered, they added. Obviously, the hotel staff huddled to talk about what to do, but there were people eating outside at the tables, and they just kept eating. I mean, yeah, that is what you expect. Like, you do kind of just get used to, like, this is hearing people yell this is in New York. New York or any big city. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just This just in. Speaking of the, the greatest city in the world, uh, the mayor, our beloved mayor, was uh, at... The flag raising. Yeah, he loves it. He loves flag raising. And he, was, he just did a South Korea thing yesterday. Yeah, he just loves it. He, he, I can't. He, he's. I hope he's been to Epcot. That's all I know. <laughs> he would love it. 
Uh, and so he was at a flag raising for in, Indian uh, New Yorkers, and he had this to say: "I am Gandhi like. I think like Gandhi. I act like Gandhi. I want to be like Gandhi." And that's like, yes, sir, uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just like uh, pick a religion, man. I just like that he was like, "What? What, what is it today? India? India? Who is Indian? Gandhi? That guy? He was pretty cool. That's me. I'm him." <laughs> He was also uh, somewhat friendly with Adolf Hitler. <laughs> well, you know, he just, uh, yeah, he just, he wrote him a couple letters. He yeah. was a correspondent. Yeah. He had plenty of correspondence. No, uh, back to male loneliness, Felix, I, I take your point to heart. I was like, everyone wants masculine role models, but everyone shits all over Eric Adams when he embodies everything that men should be. Yeah, I mean, which, talk, is, yeah. which is Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Jesus Christ. Jack LaLanne, maybe. Yeah. yeah. You can't say the man is not confident. Yeah, he's got. He's got, as he likes to say all the time, he has swag. He's swagged out. He's a swagged up and swagged, swagged out player. Uh, and people need to just fucking let him do it. Let him do it. Stop stop yelling at him. Well, those are the two paths, aren't they? Yeah. Encapsulated in two New Yorkers. You can either you know, take umbrage at everything. Everything is a personal offense, a blood feud. It has to consume you. Or every slight against you is a waiter at the table yes, of success. Yes. You know, that is one thing about Eric Adams. He, I mean, he probably has taken, he probably has done something like this yeah. in a different oh, way, yeah. but like it, it was probably like more fun for everyone. Oh, definitely. I'm sure it yeah. was a great time. If, if Mr. Weintraub loses this lawsuit to the Mark hotel, I think rather than like a, like a, a monetary judgment against him where he has to like pay the money for defamation or whatever, I think he should get some life experience being a waiter at the table of success at the mark. Yes. He should, yeah, he, yeah, he should, should have be, to be a hotel staff at the, at the, the, the hotel of success. He, well, he should be a page for Eric Adams. <laughs> a squire. Yeah, yeah. Get, me, get me my breastplate stretcher. <laughs> <laughs> health, health is better than wealth. Yeah. Yeah. I do like the idea of him having to, yeah, just like polish forks or take people to the tables. Humbling. Now, since both these stories are in New York, if Eric Adams intervened in the Mark V. Weintraub case, what side would he come down on in in using his mayoral power to tip I mean, the scales? I mean, the Mark Hotel is a very fancy place where celebrities go, so I'm assuming he would pick their side. I mean, he would. He could go I mean, like, yeah, uh, this, this Weintraub shit was, was fucking causing problems for Drake, okay? And yeah. I don't think Mayor Adams would cotton. I don't think he would cotton to that. No, no. I mean, I definitely agree with you. He's obviously going to start with the hotel, but he would say something weird where he's like, "Both parties went over the line." <laughs> <laughs> like, but yeah, like he would. He would say something. Like he would make the hotel apologize to like Holocaust victims. <laughs> yeah, he would be like, "Look, the hotel is fine. It's it's it's. They, yes, they helped Epstein. Yes, they denied the Holocaust. But we all make mistakes." <laughs> <laughs> they, they, he would, he would say, yeah, they, they denied the Holocaust. But when I was a young Jewish boy growing up in Hungary, I, I worked for the SS, <laughs> and then I became a hedge fund manager. He would, he would internal, he would internalize like the, the, like the conservative myth about George Soros being like a child SS agent. Yeah, <laughs> say it's him. Uh, Eric. I Eric Adams trying to get uh, trying to get served alcohol at the mark by using John Lindsay's driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe he you know how his son is a rapper. Yeah, it like um his, his there was re Eric was recently at an album release party. I could see him trying to like in some ways trying to like extort Drake into doing a feature for his son's album through this <laughs> through some boneheaded maneuver. <laughs> we all want this to go away and there's one way yeah. for it to go away my son does the hotline bling dance in your next video i i do think unfortunately like the eric adams story i unfortunately think he is one of the those just one of those municipal politicians who like if not prison he's gonna get some criminal conviction it does seem like he's already trailing like a comic. I mean, tale yeah, the straw donor thing that's hanging stuff. around him right now is yeah. like he was, you know, like he was like, I, I believe I quoted in the uh, the court papers was the the line, the mayor doesn't do anything for twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, similar calculus to Trump. It's either that or not the White House, but the emperorship of the Western Hemisphere. It's one of those two <laughs> endings for the, that man. 
Well, um, uh, I, I would like to actually take this time to personally apologize to Drake for the shabby way he was treated on his visit to New York City. Um, you know, I, I hope I can I can only hope the city of Toronto will extend us yes. the glad hand and um, not help say that we deny the Holocaust. Yeah, or, absolutely. Or, or Epstein. We have some <laughs> questions, but that's just, you know, part of uh, learning about historical truths. You have to ask questions, right? Well, uh, Drake, Toronto, we will see you on Thursday. In the six. We'll be inside Canada if they let us into the country. We might not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Cheers, everybody. Bye. Bye.